back to the What's Your More podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the student loan debt forgiveness and what once was and what it is now. And, you know, if you have student loan debt or more importantly, if you have a child that has student loan debt, this is a podcast I urge you to dive into, maybe listen to a couple of times, because quite frankly, I don't think there's enough information about what's going to happen over the course of the next 90 days out there for the general public to kind of understand what's going on. So to kind of back up a little bit, you know, in March of 2020, the um, the Student Loan Debt Forgiveness Act was put into place to where student loan debt was suspended and it was put in forbearance and no interest was to occur during that time. And it was temporarily put into place for eight months. And then every eight months that was renewed by the president that was in the administration during that time. So you had a combination of Trump setting this up and a combination now of Biden setting this up to where we are now in 2023. And so what happened is in the debt forgiveness, um, I, I guess you could call it Student Loan Debt Forgiveness Act, they suspended the interest rates and they suspended payments. And this was a big win for people that were carrying the debt load of student loan debt. And the premise behind that was that during COVID, when people weren't able to work, especially, you know, servers and and, and uh, leisure and hospitality, and, you know, anyone for that matter, really, some pays were cut, jobs were reduced. I mean, we saw it all across the board, and then it made its way back. But during that time, suspending that student loan debt really offered additional relief to households, families, and individuals. And I think it was wonderfully, you know, done and put in place along with a combination of other things that needed to happen. As we've moving forward into 2023, that suspension was still going on, that that lack of payment was happening. So as you recall, we had a debt ceiling issue probably about 60 days ago from this podcast. And there was a quite a bit of a conundrum, like, were they not going to increase it? Were they going to increase it? We did a whole podcast on that. But what happened was that there was a debt suspension put in place over the course of the next two years. And we did a whole podcast on what that means. But one of the trade-offs, if you may, one of the agreements that had to take place was that the Student Loan Debt Forgiveness Act would be removed. And inside that act, there were two critical components that happened. One was the student loan forgiveness in a, in a bulk amount of up to $20,000 for a household of less than $125,000. And then the additional part was the no payments at 0% interest. Part of the um, debt ceiling compromise, if you may, was to start having student loan debt be paid back. And instead of thinking like that as a form of punishment um, by the parties that kind of uh, urged that in, what the thought process was is that the bulk of the student loan debt in the United States is owned by the federal government, the United States Department of Education. And so if they could start receiving payments back at a current interest rate, that would help offset some of the national deficit. Now, how much would that offset? I think it's very minimum compared to some of the other programs that they were referring to in there. But annualized out over the course of you know the terms of those loans, you, you're going to see the bigger picture that was kind of painted there. So in, inside of that, this payment has to start, uh, excuse me, starts becoming repaid back on September 1st. Now they're going to give some leniencies. They being the Department of Education is going to give some leniencies between September 1st and October 1st inside of there. But there's a, there's a lot of things that have come out since that uh, compromise has taken place. And so that's kind of what I want to break down here today. And so as I've kind of ventured out to the United States Department of Education's website and looked at some of the things that they're publishing currently, um, there's some interesting facts in there. And, and quite frankly, we've held off on this podcast because on June 30th, the Supreme Court made a decision to override that second portion of the um, Debt Forgiveness Act, which was the $20,000 forgiven up to households of $125,000. The Supreme Court voted six to three against that. 
Now, since then, uh, the current administration has proposed a new bill that will help offset that. But again, that's a proposed bill and that will take time to even get you know passed and put through. And I think that what, what you're looking at now is that the Supreme Court has said, nope, you're not going to have any any of more of the $20,000 forgiveness is not going to happen. So it's going to take time to kind of, you know, propose something else and get it through the system. So currently you're finding people that thought they had a balance. Let's just use an example of $50,000 and they're like, well, now I owe 30. That's now back to 50. And so you've got a couple of different situations going on. Number one, you got a lot of misinformation being shared out there. Number two, you've got the United States Department of Education going, hey, listen, this impacts 43 million people. So 43 million loans. Could you imagine trying to incorporate a system like uh, taking payments in, sending paperwork out, calling prospective borrowers? 43 million. Who has the manpower to do that? More importantly, what if all the contact data you had from those 43 million is outdated? Is it possible someone moved? Of course it is. Is it possible someone changed their phone number? Absolutely. So there's a lot of outdate data that they have as well, potentially that could cause problems in the payback or even alerting the particular borrower that there's a payback. So they said, listen, over the course of the next year, we're going to have no penalties as far as late payments are concerned, uh, as far as helping people kind of understand what they owe, when they owe it, because again, this is a lot to take on. And even the Department of Education says we can't handle all of this at one time. So starting October 1st, they're going to start reaching out and they're going to start sending paperwork as of today. Actually, this is the day we're doing this podcast. Paperwork is starting to be set out to all the borrowers, letting them know that, hey, this is your balance. This is your loan number. This is what you owe. So if you have a student loan and you haven't created an online account, you know, look for that paperwork. If you have an online account, you can hop in there and take a look at it as of now. And there's a couple of things you can do proactively as a person that has a student loan that's been in forbearance and to kind of help yourself out and get more ahead of the curve than anyone else. One of those first things is, is determine who your servicer is. Just like a mortgage loan, just like an auto loan, oftentimes those loans are sold or they're consolidated through another servicer. So the person that you originally were making your payments to back in 2020 may not be the person that has that loan today. And so I think number one is establish and find out who the servicer is. That's really important. I would imagine over the course of 2020 to today in 2023, there was some paperwork that had to be sent to you. Now, whether it got to you or not, because you switched addresses or, you know, there was maybe an issue in the mail, that could be the case, but there had to be paperwork that was sent um, letting you know that there's a new servicer and this is the person that you'll be making, this is, excuse me, the organization you'll be making your payments to. So you're going to want to establish, number one, establish who your new servicer is and who do you make your payments to if it's not the person, excuse me, if it's not the organization you were making your payments to back in 2020. The second thing is immediately, once you find out who that is, apply for a um, income-based repayment loan. And what an income-based repayment loan is, is all student loans have the options to say, hey, this is what I'm making today. It may not be what I was making in 2020. It may be more. Or maybe my household has changed and my household income has gone down. So you're going to want to apply for that. And they're going to want some financial documentations, probably your W-2, more than likely your tax returns for the last year to see what that income-based repayment would be. Now, remember, they're going to go off of filed tax returns. They're not going to go off what you're making currently. That's really important because they may go off of 
a pay stub, but if you're, you know, if you're receiving bonuses or commissions or something of that nature, they're going to go off the previous year's tax returns. And that's going to offer you maybe some relief of what you're making now versus what you made then. So right now, currently, the U.S. Department of, excuse me, of U.S. Department of Education is forecasting the average payment that's going to come out of this situation is close to $250 per loan per month. Now, with an income-based repayment, that could be reduced. That could be potentially higher, you know, if you're making more than, than what they're projecting that you would make during that time. But those are the first two things I would do. And, you know, and oftentimes people have more than one student loan. So per household too, and, and even sometimes per person, you have more than just one student loan. So that's $250 per student loan. So you could see if you had three student loans, that's a $750 payment that you're going to wake up to. That's a lot. It's a lot for any household to take on. So you want to minimize that burden based on what your income is right now. So highly suggest step one, find out who the servicer is if it's not the person that you were making the payments to in 2020. Number two, apply for the income-based repayment loan. That's extremely important. Number three, find out what your interest rate is on that loan. A lot of loans are variable. Most are, matter of fact. Well, we've been in a rising rate environment. If you go back to March of 2020, rates were very low. Go back to 21, they were extremely low. Well, all of your all of your interest during that time was essentially suspended. You know, it was it was subsidized by the government, meaning that it wasn't accruing. There was no interest taking place. Even though interest rates were low, you weren't having to worry about any interest accruing on your balance. Well, the way this new rollout is taking place is that the accrual starts of interest on September 1st at today's rate. And today's rate versus then and now, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, you know what we're dealing with right now. I mean, rates are at a 11, 12, 13 year high right now. So I would imagine the student loans are going to be at 11, 12, 13 year high right now as well. So that means you're going to have an additional interest burden in that payment. So in order to kind of uh, subsidize that as well, that's why that income-based repayment is so strong. The other thing I would do is, don't you learn what the interest rate is, maybe look at consolidating all the loans. You know, there is some benefit in consolidating some of your higher interest rate loans and lower interest rate loans together to get a blended rate that's a little bit more accurate and variable or fixed, whatever the term is that you want to do if that's available, but there's going to be some options that are there. And I think that that's something that, you know, you're definitely going to want to account for and look at. Yo, thank you so much for choosing us today. We're definitely not done with our podcast, but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show. I've been in the lending business for 20 years. I've seen many different lenders. During those 20 years, I recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor. And the team at Bank of England is full of advisors. They take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. And I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. You know, when you start taking a look at that timeline here, um, I'm going to go back. I just want to make sure I'm really painting this for you correctly here. Interest starts accruing September 1st, and then the pause starts 60 days from that. So um, your payment's going to start being due in that October 30th, that that, that 
November 1st payment range. And once you get these letters and you get the information about what's going on with your account, you can kind of, you know, determine exactly when that payment's going to be on there. But I will say this, um, when you take a look at who the current servicer is, definitely want to come out the gate income-based repayment, definitely going to want to ask questions about uh, what's my interest rate and definitely ask about consolidation. Those three things are going to benefit you dramatically. Now, let's take a look at the opposite side of the coin. If you're the person that goes, you know what? Screw it. I'm not paying it. I can't afford it. Um, I was told it was forgiven. You know, whatever card that you want to play there or whatever thing that you want to subscribe to, I kind of want to break down the um, repercussions of that because oftentimes this is overlooked and not talked about. And from a credit standpoint, it's, pr it's pretty important to understand that if your loan, and there's a high chance that your loan is what they call a master servicer, that's the person that, that owns the loan. You may not be making the payment to them, but they own the loan. The master servicer is the United States Department of Education. That is a government affiliate. And if you do not pay them back or default on that, that is a decision that could haunt your path for home ownership for quite some time. And I don't recommend doing that because there are options around that. And those options are the three things I just discussed. And, and those are going to be a lot more beneficial than potentially saying I'm not paying it because the government looks at it this way. The government agencies also are the same agencies that have complete control of the mortgage industry, um, whether it's the Federal Housing Finance Agency that controls Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, whether it's HUD, which is the Housing and Urban Development that controls FHA, or VA, which is the Veterans Affairs, which is a division of HUD that controls VA loans, and then also that same HUD division controls USDA loans. And those are going to be your primary factors of outlets for mortgage lending. Now there's some private lending and there's also some non-QM lending and they may or may not look at those student loans a certain way, but you're going to pay a much higher interest rate because of that. So the more favorable terms and conditions are going to be in those first six sets of loans that I described. And those agencies all being owned by the government kind of take a look at it like this. If you haven't paid the government on your student debt, what makes them think you're going to pay them back on your mortgage? So if you're, look, if you're not a current homeowner, you're definitely going to want to set yourself in a position to where you're not defaulting on that and, and hindering your ability to get the most favored terms and conditions. Now, let's say you're a person that goes, listen, I've had three plus years of not having to make a student loan payment. My household budget changed over that three plus years. Like my affordability has changed. And quite frankly, with inflation the way it is and all the things that we've been battling as an economy, I don't have room in my payment for any of this, not even an income-based repayment plan. I urge you to get on the phone with the servicer immediately. Pick up the phone and call the servicer once you discover who that is and plead your case to what your position is right now. They will work with you. I think that's the most important thing here is that they will work with you. They want to work with you. They're just going to ask you to document some of the things that show proof to what you're selling them. Obviously, they're not going to just take your word on it. They're going to want to see proof of it. But if you have provable, you know, income and provable situations that you can show, hey, listen, I'm, I'm, not, I'm struggling now, they're going to work with you. Um, they may continue to keep it in forbearance. They may delay it even further. There's plenty of options. They're not there to put you in a position to go broke or have to file bankruptcy. That's not what they want to do. But if they don't know what's going on and you're not making payments, 
that's going to impact your credit in a negative way, and that's not going to be good for you. So keep that in mind as you're making decisions on what to do with the student loans. You know, right when we wrap up this podcast, I'm actually getting ready to have a gentleman uh, come to the studio here. We're going to talk about, you know, college tuition and talk about the you know, savings for college. And a big portion of that conversation will be student loans. And I think that'll be interesting kind of piggybacking off this episode right here because he's considered a specialist in that particular area. But I will say that... Um, this is a lot to take in, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there's moving dominoes and pieces that will happen. But again, three things you need to do out the gate. And I, I know I sound like a broken record, but I just want to make sure that you understand is number one, find out who your servicer is. Number two, apply for the income-based repayment loan. Number three, determine the interest rate. Is it worth consolidating? Is it not worth consolidating? And then that, and that fourth one there is whatever you do, work towards making the payment, whether it's if you can make the income-based repayment, make that work. If you can't, work with your servicer so that they understand your financial position and therefore they're working with you on that and not dinging your credit. So when the time comes to buy a home, your future home ownership is not determined based on decisions you made based on uh, not paying back student loans because that would not be a great plan. Now, for those that are asking about that new Biden plan and what they're putting into place to additionally help people, you know, with the $20,000, you know, it's my understanding from everything I've read, that's going to be at least, at least a 12 month process that's already fighting a legal uphill battle and more than likely will be stalled out. So if you're anticipating that $20,000 to be forgiven, I would continue to make payments. If it gets forgiven, that's great. You know, it's going to be great for the people that it helps out. If it doesn't, at least you put things in place to make sure that you're not banking on that happening. And therefore, that again, that doesn't impact your financial situation as far as making the income-based repayments or working with the servicer in order to make sure that they understand your financial position. So if you like what you hear today on the podcast, please share it. Please five-star review it. Um, tell your friends and family, share it with them. Follow us on our YouTube channel. We put all of our charts, we put all of our links, everything on there. Subscribe to that and check us out on our socials at What's Your One More with the number one at What's Your One More with the number one. Till then, see you guys in the next episode. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. And when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put them all into it, yeah